Philippians chapter 1 this morning is where we will be. I want to draw your attention to one verse. Philippians 1 verse 21. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't understand what would make someone 65-ish years old when he died, probably a couple of years younger than that, writing this book. I don't understand what would make him completely change everything if it's not for God. If it's not because of a permanent effect that God has on his life, There is no reason that Paul should have even been a Christian, not to mention an apostle who is going so far as to plant churches all over the place to write nearly half of our New Testament books. 13 of the 27 find their origin at Paul's hand. I don't understand what takes a Pharisee of Pharisees and turns him into someone who is willing to give up everything for the sake of Christ unless God himself has intervened in Paul's life. Luckily for me, we have the story God did. On the way to Damascus, he is en route to persecute Christians, given orders not only to persecute, but to make sure, make sure that he does away with this cult of Christianity. And then there's Jesus. And apparently it must have had an impact because Paul completely changed his direction. No, he still heads toward Damascus, but he's not going there to persecute Christians. Now he is one. And not only is he going not just to persecute Christians, he is now going to lead the charge for the Christian church. He is now going to be one of the penultimate examples of what a missionary ought to be. So when Paul writes these words to the Philippian church, to live is Christ and to die is gain, he's got a perspective that we do not have. He has a perspective that's not just Jesus is life, like some kind of shirt that would say baseball is life or dance is life. Those were big when I was in high school. It's not that kind of thing that Paul is saying. In fact, what Paul is saying, I don't want to get into too much detail on the grammar, because I don't want all of you sleeping. You know, one or two at a time is enough. I don't, I don't need everybody to sleep on me. But the way that he structures this sentence is interesting. He doesn't say Christ is life. Christ is not the subject. He says to live is Christ. To die is gain. We don't, sometimes we do this with verbs. We use them as nouns. That's what he's doing here. He's using the verbs as nouns. He's saying it's not just enough to say that Jesus is life. You have to go beyond that. You have to realize that the very action of living, the process of life, of breathing in and breathing out, the process of thinking with a brain, of having motion in your fingers and in your toes, the process of existing and not just existing, But living and experiencing life is Christ. It's not in Christ. It is Christ. That's a totally different way than what we think. But it ought to be this way with Paul. I mean, if you see a vision of the risen Lord and you're blind for three days afterwards, the only thing that you could see is Christ. No wonder he could say Christ is life. 
Because ever since that point, Jesus is the only one that had his eyes. This is the same writer that says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Carrie, just leave that verse up for the rest of the sermon. For me, for to me, to live is Christ. One translator put it this way. To be living is Christ. And to have died is gain. I think what Paul is saying is that he has come to recognize that in dying himself, that he has now been able to experience what life really is. He talks about this in a couple of other places. Galatians 2.20 For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And now the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. He says in Romans chapter 7, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. You see, you have died and now you are not yours. You belong to him. This is a totally different way of thinking. This is a massively seismic shift in paradigm. In fact, you might even feel the ground shake when you experience this shift in paradigm. That's how huge this is. It's not just that Jesus is a vacuum attachment that you put onto your life when you need to clean your curtains. It's not that kind of a thing. It's not just that Jesus is something that you follow because you got nothing else better to do. It's not just that Jesus is something that you got to go through the motions with, whether you like it or not. To live is Christ. Take that deep breath in. There's Christ. Maybe, maybe the reason our country is in such bad shape is because the church has been so long in such bad shape. We've accepted this knockoff of Christianity that says what we do is what matters. Oh, and we won't say that because we know that it's because of Jesus that we're saved, but we're, we're still acting as though it's just what we do. Church is just something we go to. What if we instead started thinking to live is Christ? And it wasn't just we do certain things for Jesus, but we are part of Jesus because he is within us. What if the indwelling of the Holy Spirit mattered so much to us that everything we did looked like it matters to us? Colossians 3, set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I believe it's Jesus that said the words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do we really believe that, church? It's not just that we find life in Christ. Christ is life. Living is Christ. When we live in Christians, we are embodying Christ. When we die, that word gain, that's profit. Think of a bond. How many of you have bonds or have ever owned a bond? Okay, so let me, let me, for those of you who are unaware, let me just kind of briefly explain how a bond works. Over the life of the bond, you'll get so much interest. 
If it's a long bond, it'll be like every six months. If it's a shorter bond, you might get interest every three months or every month or something like that, okay? But at the end of that bond's life, if you're still holding the bond, you will get one final payment that is the principal amount on the bond. So you buy the bond, you hold it for interest, and then at the end of the bond, you get the full amount of the bond. What Paul is talking about here, it's kind of like that. To live as Christ, that Christ in us, us in Christ, is the interest payments, the regular payments on this bond of salvation. And, and one day, when we die, we get the full amount We get the full principle of this bond. Not only the indwelling spirit of God that is with us day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. But when we die, there is something even better because we get God fully. Not understand, not that get, experience. Right now we experience him, but we got this sin problem. and, And it just keeps us, It just keeps us divided from God, keeps us divided from each other. But one day, one day, there's not going to be the division caused by sin because one day when we die, or if we happen to be there long enough, when he returns, brings us home, one day we in full. This is why in Revelation, John says uh, in in the New Jerusalem, there's, there's no temple. There's no temple. God is the temple in the New Jerusalem. You don't need a temple when God is there. When you're directly in his presence, you don't need somewhere to go to worship God. You've got God there. You can worship directly in his presence. You don't have to worship here on earth knowing that spiritually you're being ushered into his presence because you'll be physically in his presence, spiritually in his presence. No wonder he says dying is gain. Because dying, shuffling off this mortal coil, as the British might say, it gives us complete and direct access to God in a way that we cannot know here on earth. Our sin keeps us separated from God. But God, who is rich in mercy, saves us from our sin and is is working in us, sanctifying us, eliminating the sin within us so that one day we are glorified. Not to say, look how great I am, but to point at him and say, look at what he's done in me. That's why we ought to be able to testify. Uh, that is, if God has done the work in you. Is he, has he done the work in you? Or is this all a show? When Paul is talking in this passage, he recognizes that, that life and death both provide opportunities for Christ to be exalted in him. If he lives, verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. He's not going to sit around sitting my tie, drinking my ties while sitting on the beach. Paul is not about to go into an early retirement, kick back and relax. No, he's not that kind of guy. You know the kind of guy I'm talking about. The kind of guy that works 80 hours a week until he's 85 and like they make him stop working so much. Like, you got to go home, you keep falling, you keep hurting yourself, you got you to gotta retire. Paul is the kind of guy that you're going to have to force to retire. In fact, you're going to have to kill him to get him to stop. Because otherwise, he's just going to keep working. 
As long as he is on earth, he recognizes that he has a job to do. If you ain't dead, you ain't done. Paul knew that very well. And so he knew even if he's living in the flesh, he is still doing fruitful labor because he still has work to do. He doesn't want to live a life of just mere existence. He wants the bona fide life to the fullest kind of life, the life more abundantly that Christ promised. And so he's working every single day to do what God wants him to do. As long as he is on this earth, he is going to be producing the fruit of righteousness for God. But you know, death is, death sometimes looks quite attractive. He says in verse 23, my desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. In fact, he uses three superlatives, very far better in Greek. There's no comparison. Right now, I'm just dealing with interest payments, but I'm waiting for that principal. I'm waiting for that full payment. And I would love to be able to go up to heaven now. I would love to be with Christ right now to have been done with this body of sin and be with him because to live is Christ, but to die is gain. You see, Paul has already died. And so now every bit of life is all Christ. And so just to, to, to be done with the physical body, to be to be finished with the sinful nature, oh, that would be so much better. But he's torn, verse 24. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. I still got work to do, so I'll keep living. See, it doesn't matter to Paul. If he's needed, he's willing and able. When he's no longer needed, he, he he's ready to go. I guess that that's really a good question, isn't it? Are you ready? Like, are you ready to die? and meet your maker? But at the same time, are you ready to live for him today when you don't die? Are you ready for either one? Are you ready to continue living your faith, living Christ in your world so that people you know will see him and will know him because of you? Are you ready to die and be in his presence? You really need to be ready for either. We, we stress so much, if you were to die today, do you know you'd go to heaven? If you were to live today, do you, would you live like heaven? I think we got to be able to answer both. And Paul is, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what? This Christ life is so valuable to Paul. What does that mean for me? What would it actually look like if, if this verse were being applied? Like if I were to put boots on and live this verse, what would it actually look like? What would it look like for you to live is Christ? For you to live that out? Well, he tells us the impact the Christ life ought to have in the Philippians and, and to us. Verses 27 and 28. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's funny. You know the word he uses there for manner of life? We have a word for it that comes from that. Politics. He literally says, let your citizenship be worthy. Paul is a Roman citizen, and he's proud of it. Um, I don't know why he doesn't mention it when he's getting beaten in Philippi, but he mentions it afterwards, and they really are sorry. <laughs> they try to make him go away quietly, but he ain't having it. He's going to make them come publicly and get him out of jail. But he's a Roman citizen. He is writing to a colony of a lot of former military, people who have citizenship because of their service to Rome. Not everybody had citizenship. Here, 
it's if, if, if you if you are a United States citizen, you pretty much it's two ways. You're either born here or you naturalize. You go through the process of becoming a citizen. It's not quite how it was in Rome. Kind of, but not exactly. A very small amount of the population were actual citizens. And they knew exactly what Paul meant when he said this. You see, because we are citizens. We're citizens of the United States. But we're citizens of a much better land than this. We're citizens of heaven. And what Paul says is, hey, how are you living? Are you living like citizens of the world? Or are you living like citizens of Christ? Are you living? At, look, look, if, if to live is Christ and to die is gain, then as long as you're alive, you ought to be looking like Christ. You ought to be living this heavenly citizenship, this celestial citizenship that we have. And just as the Roman citizens would have certain advantages over non-citizens, just as American citizens have certain advantages over non-citizens, in the same way, being a citizen of heaven has certain advantages, but it also has certain responsibilities too. We must live in such a way as to please our true king. Look at these verses. One way we can do it is to stand together in one spirit. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whenever I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. That's the idea of partnership. That's koinonia. We are partners together in the gospel through the Holy Spirit. So if we are going to live is Christ, if we're going to, if we're going to apply that, we must be ready to stand firm in one spirit. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that we just get in folks' way. There are certain places where you need to stand where you need to say here and no further. The gospel is one of those places where we need to stand. That might be pointing out error. It should always be pointing people to truth. We shouldn't only be seeking to say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. It's like a toddler. You can tell them no all day long. They don't care. They're just going to keep trying. It's a little bit easier if you give them something better to do, isn't it? Here, let's do this. Now, that doesn't always work. I know. I've had toddlers. But you can't just say no to the wrong without showing the right. We stand firm and once we stand together in one spirit, standing firm on the gospel and making sure that we are in the Holy Spirit declaring that gospel faithfully and truly, pointing out the error where we need to point out error, but always to point out truth. Not only that, he continues with one mind, striving side by side for the faith in the gospel. We strive together in one mind. We're not only to stand together, but to fight the good fight together, to run our course, to finish our race, having one singular overriding purpose. The, the word here for mind is the word for soul. It is the center of emotions, of passions, of driving, of motivations. It's where decisions are made. And we are to be one, one in our motives, one in our passion. Third, we are to struggle together in one salvation. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here that I still have. We cannot be driven by a fear of opposition. I seem to remember greater is... He who is in me than he who is in the world. Yep. You see, God uses our struggles to work out our salvation. 
Perhaps this living is Christ and dying is gain is a different way of thinking than the way that you have been. Maybe it's something that is foreign to you. Maybe all your life you have been living with Christ or near Christ. Maybe you've even been working for Christ, but your life hasn't been Christ. He's calling you. If you, if you listen, you can hear. I am the way, the truth, the life. It's time for us to put aside every hindrance and to live the Christ life. It's time for us to put aside the baseballs and the dances, those activities that so many people base their identity on that consume so much passion. It's time for us to stop worrying about politics and start being the celestial sort of politician, the kind whose life mirrors the Savior by whom we live, for whom we live, in whom we live. For to me, to live is Christ. Pray with me. Father, this this passage reveals so much that's wrong in us. It hits our hearts with conviction that we do not live you. We, we, we try to live for you, but we fail. We try to live in you and we're distracted. We're, we try to live through you and we struggle at the same time with sin. This struggle for the Christ life true life, the bona fide life that you seek to give us, that you seek to live in us and through us and to us. We just can't seem to get it right. And this side of glory, we won't. Father, will you forgive us where we fail you? Where we seek comfort, peace? Will you forgive us where we turn away from you? Jesus, it's like we are, we can't even breathe on our own and you are our ventilator. Our heart cannot beat, and you are the pacemaker. It's like our blood will not flow, and you are. You are the one that makes it move. You are the one that pushes air into our lungs and draws it out. Lord, may it be true of us that to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Help us live worthy of our true citizenship. As you're working in hearts this morning, We submit to what you want to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.